Appamata and its programs are supported by your generosity and your generosity and support makes such a difference. You can find a link for contributions on the website at appamata.org. Thank you. <clears throat> Thank you all. Thank you all. It really is my honor. I haven't done a Dharma talk in quite a while and it feels really good to be tapped into the Dharma in a kind of more formal way. Um, so this, this talk was inspired, um, Jessica and John Eric, they um, gave me and my wife um, concert tickets to Trevor Hall. And we went a few weeks ago. It was a beautiful night, beautiful music. And there was one particular song and lyric that came up that made me maybe say to John Eric, this would be a great Dharma talk. <laughs> Jessica's Dharma talk was last week. And I was like, you should do that Trevor Hall song. And, um, and then she did something else. And, and then I, Monday of last week, I just sort of started typing and had a little spontaneous riff come up. So mm -hmm. I guess it was my Dharma talk to go. <laughs> so <clears throat> I thought we would start with just playing the song and Nellie's going to play it for us. And then I'll just um, share what it inspired in me. So get in your best uh, song listening stance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Thanks, Nellie. <clears throat> okay. So the first verse, up and down it goes like a great wave across my own home. Um, there's so much going on when we stop and we check in. Like, there's so much going on in our being. There's so many sensations. There's so many thoughts. There's so many emotions and memories and voices from the inside. And sitting practice is like such an opportunity to not just be reacting to it all. Like for a moment, even if it's just a few seconds, a few minutes to like, oh, I noticed that I'm thinking about that conversation I had a while ago, or, oh, I noticed that I'm really resisting that the way my left eyeball feels this morning. Like, <laughs> like for a moment, you can just separate and become that witness so that you're not just caught in the rapids of your thoughts, caught in the rapids of your feelings. And it's a radical thing, I think, just that practice of unblending for your ex from your experience for a moment, turning towards it with some kind of curiosity so that you're not just blended with it and reacting to it. And for me, you know, my sitting practice is much less these days. And so today I sat for much longer than I normally do. And that was really true. Like a great wave crashing over <laughs> and over and over. <clears throat> All the questions of the mind trying to find a way to show that I got darkness, I got light, I got everything in between. Don't deny any side. I don't cut branches off my tree. So for me, if I'm honest, you know, the, the forces of greed, hatred, delusion are flowing in there right alongside the love, the compassion, and the goodwill. And in you know, one moment, I might be sitting in some kind of blissful experience, like a body of light and love, and then the next minute I'm hunting that mosquito that's been stinging me for the past 30 minutes just like murderous rage. <laughs> so there's little, you know, I feel like that separates us from the arrogant politician, the murderer, the thief, like, it's like, you know, there but for the grace of God go I, you know, our circumstances, our genetics, our, the neighborhood that we were raised in, how we were nurtured. All of these factors, you know, um, have such a great influence on us. And so practice invites us to open up to the space that holds it all. And that takes me to the first hallmark of existence, no self. And so if you contain it all, both these forces of greed, hatred, and delusion, considered the three poisons in Buddhist psychology, but also the love and the compassion, like you're not any of it, you know, neither are you it. You're a space that it all flows in. And practice helps us kind of disidentify from you know, this sense of personality that we tend to, you know, it's who I am, my gender, or my profession, no self. <clears throat> so can you connect to that boundless space where these storm clouds dump their rains and disturb the peace? And can you simultaneously remember that the obscured sun is still there, shining brightly? Our true nature is said to be compassionate, clear, and luminous. And this refrain, great storm clouds holding rain, 
It's part of nature to hold a bit of pain. That one takes me to the Buddha's second hallmark of existence, dukkha. Dukkha or suffering, dissatisfaction, AKA sometimes described as a wheel that's slightly off kilter, needs to be true, slightly wobbly. Great storm clouds holding rain, it's part of nature to hold a bit of pain. So I don't know about you all, but when I start to feel some kind of discomfort or distress, it feels like something's wrong. It feels like something's wrong. And immediately I'm like, what do I need to eat? What's the practice I need to do? What's the exercise I need to do? Where do I need to travel to? Just some way to get away from the discomfort and the pain. So feeling slightly off is part of being human and it happens. And there's nothing wrong, even though it feels wrong. There's nothing wrong, even though it feels wrong. And again, this is a radical concept to not think about our suffering, our pain as some kind of failure on our part or something that needs to be rectified. <clears throat> it always feels like an affront, like this shouldn't be happening to me. <clears throat> One of my mentors, Lorena Monda, always says, don't be afraid of your own suffering. Don't be afraid of your own suffering. All in all, that rain falls and then we watch a new thing grow. Watch a new thing grow. And that made me think about Chogyam Trungpa, the Tibetan Buddhist teacher. He said about suffering that it's manure for the field. <laughs> suffering is manure for the field. Yeah. We won't have our food unless we have poop. <laughs> so, like our, our suffering or discomfort when we can turn towards it and bring skillfulness to it, bring compassion to it, bring space to it, it molds us, it shapes us, it's the way that we become empathic creatures, it makes, helps us, for me, helps me remember not to sweat the small stuff, and when I am turning towards it, it helps me remember that we're all in this together, we're all in this together, experiencing our dukkha, doing our best with that. Um, we all get sick, we all grow older, we all eventually die. And, and to hold that, the truth of that, without becoming macabre or heavy, that's, that's the art, but not resisting or suppressing the reality of the pain, that can be a gateway to remembering things like uh, to look at my wife more deeply into her eyes or to, you know, I smell the head of my sweaty four-year-old son, you know, just noticing that he's no longer a baby. He's now a boy. And, you know, this idea of, um, like, I, I remember the other day, I was really suffering with this idea, part of the practice for me of fatherhood is um, providing and all the stresses that it brings. And I remember coming in to sit and I just had this moment where I was just remembering like, oh, I'm sitting on this cushion and this cushion contains the buckwheat that includes the sun, the rain, the stars, the moon, it includes the factory workers and the drivers and, and then sitting in the Zenda with all of these teachings that have come my way, warm hand to warm hand that, oh, I am provided for, like this idea of me being a provider is like, being provided for. 
So I don't know if watching a new thing grow, that was the one thing I sat with. It's like, you know, I, I like how Flint always says our practice is one of um, forgetting, like letting go a lot so that essential nature could come through. But there is some way that like watch a new thing grow. Through practice, there is something new, a new way of being in the world. Feelings coming, feelings leaving. That is just the way it goes. Feelings coming, feelings leaving. That is just the way it goes. I say my hour and a half of sitting, that happened a lot. Anybody else? <laughs> yeah. But that points me to the third hallmark of existence, anicca, impermanence, anicca, impermanence. All that arises passes away. It's the eternal truth. The only constant in life is change. But again, there's a way that um, it's so true. And then I'm always sort of shocked by it. Like, but what do you mean my shoulder can't do that thing it used to do? <laughs> what do you mean my back is cramping up just from weed whacking? You know? um, yeah, so the body breaks down, the world of emotions come in like storm clouds, and then sunlight breaks and then back again. And this practice invites us to notice how we prefer some experiences more than others. And yet this practice is just to pivot back towards all of it with uh, as much curiosity and compassion as we can find. And then the last verse, how to surrender to the mystery I often never know. Oh, treat it like a weight or treat it like a never ending dance. All the laughter, all the tears are just a part of the romance. So how to surrender to the mystery I often never know. So I think about like one way of surrendering to the mystery that I know is um, kind of the, some moments where you have an embodied realization of like how vast the space is, the universe, the galaxies and the stars and it, it opens you up and then you're like, oh, these very atoms of my body are the basic components of stardust and this profound sense of unity can sometimes come in. You may remember that like civilizations rise and fall, that this we're in this one civilization that will have an end. Hopefully not too soon. <laughs> but that continents break apart and reassemble, that all my ancestors from India all the way down to the simple cell organism, they're here right now, coming through, expressing through me right now. And then that's when I connect to what the Hindus call Leela or divine play this never-ending dance where we're wearing different outfits lifetime after lifetime. And what Shakespeare pointed to when he said, all the world's a stage and all the men and women merely players. So this grand perspective can come in where we start to realize that samsara and nirvana are just two sides of the same coin. And for me, when I feel like I'm connected to that kind of mystery, it feels very sky-like, spacious that I can look at my bank account and not have plummeting self-esteem or, or not fall into despair at the latest mass shooting, like some big mysterious space. 
But then there's a kind of surrender where all the stuff that you've stuffed down inside you comes up. And sitting practice can do that. That's the booby prize of meditation. <laughs> You're looking for peace and you sit down and all that crap that you did not meet, you didn't process in your lifetime. The traumas, the childhood wounds, they come forward, they want to be met. And there's a surrender of um, surrendering to that in a mysterious way. And that part where he says, treat it like a weight or treat it like a never ending dance. Sometimes you, you hold it like a weight and that you give it your undivided attention. Like you really turn towards it. You see what it needs. You avow it. You bring in friends, you bring in professional healers. Like, and you, there's a mystery to that too. Like, oh, okay, here's this thing that wants to be shown and I'm going to surrender to that. So how to surrender to the mystery, I often never know. And it's hard to know, like, you know, when are we avoiding our personal pain uh, in the guise of non-dual awareness? You know, are we really taking a grand perspective or are we just dissociating and spacing out? Or when are we wallowing or looping unhelpfully in our thoughts or our emotions, some mixture of that? It's a judgment call. And then the last verse, all the laughter, all the tears are part of the romance. So this last line takes me back to Zen Master Dogen. And I'll end with this. What is enlightenment? Enlightenment is intimacy with all things. All the laughter, all the tears are part of the romance. And this practice, the sitting practice, can be a gateway to that intimacy, to, um, to make that intimate engagement with whatever is arising inside, outside, and to make it part of the romance. Well, thank you for this opportunity to, to be with you all and to um, kind of dance with these, this song, these words, my way seeking with you all. But I'd love to hear from you all that's moving through you, all that. <laughs> right. um, so thank you so much. It was really uh, lovely to hear you and have you here. Um, so one of the things that struck me was, when, particularly when you were talking, there were a lot of things, but when you were talking about dukkha, is that when I first went back to live in Sicily, um, there was, I noticed a pattern over the year of people talking about, much more readily than Americans do, about I'm a little depressivo, just a little bit depressed. And everybody sort of took depression, the way that it was being used, not as like major depression, but like you just kind of have the sads. And so you're gonna stay home from work that day and lay on the couch and just take it easy. And then you'll go back to work the next day. And it was a very like everyday part of being to just sort of recognize that there were these flows 
and that you took care and then you came back from it. And it, I remember being struck at how incredibly different it was from American culture and this notion that, you know, you're supposed to be happy, right? Mm -hmm. That's the face you're supposed to kind of present forward. And if you're not, something's wrong. And so I, I think I just wanted to um, highlight that because I think there's a way in which we by as Buddhists by acknowledging that all of that exists inside of us, we can make space for everyone, even if they're not Buddhists, to sort of say that flow of you know the the negative, beautiful, you know, it's part of everything, right? Yeah. I don't know. So I just I remember feeling freedom when I saw that around me. Yeah. You know, a lot of freedom in a way that I don't typically, you know, or I didn't typically feel here. You know, so I just yeah, I don't it's know. like a culture that was welcoming in such a primary aspect of being human. Yeah, but also the recognition that we didn't, mm -hmm. you know, hear. Yeah. Right, mm -hmm. and that mm -hmm. that was the that I didn't see it, and I didn't really see that something was being pushed away until mm -hmm. I got in a context where it was being allowed in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah. Thank you. What was the name of the songwriter and the name of the song again? I'd like to be able yeah. to listen to it in the future. And I did Trevor something. Trevor Hall. Hall. And it's called Great Storm Clouds. Great Storm Clouds. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate your rereading the verses as you went through your mm -hmm. talk because it was a little hard to understand some of his enunciations. So that's yeah. beautiful. We need to get better speakers in here for you. <laughs> 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 Distinguish every word, so then I'll, I'll listen again. But that was great because you told yeah. us each word as you went through your talk. That's yeah. good. <laughs> Peg has offered before we could have a dance party here once for young <laughs> Zen, and she said so. Nice. My bass speakers are not just young Zen, young at heart. I just wanted to thank you so much for bringing this in and really just kind of pulling it apart mm -hmm. and uh, connecting it with the Dharma so skillfully. And um, something that really struck me that, that you offered was um, this idea of surrender. And I know for me, when I can feel the, the darkness moving through me, the, the sadness, I don't want to collapse. Mm -hmm. and, and often we can, I, I conflate those two things, surrender mm -hmm. and collapse. Yeah. And so I resist. Mm -hmm. uh, but the way that you, you pulled out that line of like, hold it like a heavy stone mm -hmm. and feel the weight of it. Yeah. I thought that was really um, astute mm -hmm. in a way. It's just like, just, just feel the weight of it. Just acknowledge the weight of it. That's mm -hmm. not a, it's not collapse. But right. it's also, there's a surrender to that. Like, yes, this is here. Mm -hmm. So I want to thank you for that. Image. Yeah, I love the way you just said that. <laughs> I um I really love that you talked about something that I talked to Lori about this morning, about um, using the practice to avoid mm -hmm. our lives, um, and to avoid suffering. I mean, that's what we were promised 
right? <laughs> That's <laughs> why we came. Um, and this whole idea of a true self um, is hard for me because it seems like something I should be striving for. Mm -hmm. Or even when I hear Flint's words about, you know, dropping things, mm -hmm. you're not supposed to, it's already there. Yeah. Um, but it seems like that's what we want, this true self that's open and spacious. Not the self that gets depressiva. <laughs> or, you know, those aren't the good things. That's not what a good person and a good Buddhist, that's not the goal. The goal is this true self. I think I still, and I think a lot of times I feel like the teachings and we as practitioners hold that up as that's what we're moving towards. And so this stuff is not it's not sure valuable. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. You mean no, no, yeah. that was it. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, well, that, I don't know if we, this term may be familiar to you all, but spiritual bypassing, just to speak to the first part of what you said, that, um, you know, using our spiritual practices as a way to avoid pain, you know, like it's easy to feel pain inside and then just go big, go with your, oh, it's all impermanent, you know, or like kind of stick with the vastness. And then there's some way that, you know, something stays unresolved within us and eventually it will show up again. <laughs> so, yeah, it's tricky to talk about because like, you know, even just saying like, that's the goal, like, mm. I mean, just the word goal makes me kind of like, start to lean forward in my seat or something. <laughs> and then this practice, even how we're taught to sort of sit is the kind of in this place of neither, you know, moving towards or nor retracting away, a kind of upright receiving. And, you know, it feels like an, an accident or something that like when we stumble across and we, mm -hmm. when things fall away and this whole notion of a clear, luminous, compassionate self arises. <laughs> and for me, I feel like even some taste of that is always followed by like, the opposite. Mm -hmm. Like that's been always been my experience. Like I count when my first Dharma practice was in Vipassana, where it was like boot camp like meditation where you're you know you're waking up at 4 30 and you're meditating for 10 hours a day and you're not eating dinner and so there's no phones, no books, no nothing. And so like I could like predict like I might have a sitting period where this taste of this thing of like where it's like I just it feels like pure energy you know there's like a kind of goodwill that comes and then the next session I would just be fantasizing about food for an hour you know? <laughs> <laughs> and but there was a way you know I feel like I'm not there it's interesting how dharma practice like there's like it's like a training like mm. at that period of my life it was like I could see myself fantasizing about food and be like, oh yeah, of course, that's what's here right now. You know, mm -hmm. um, now that I don't sit as much, I don't feel like I remember it, mm -hmm. but I but in the moment I'm fantasizing about food and that's all I'm doing. You know, I'm blended with it. Mm -hmm. um, you have someone on two questions. Yeah, today. thanks, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, this, that whole thing about enlightenment um, mm -hmm. is an accident and Zazen makes you accident prone. <laughs> That's all that I can think about when you talk mm. about that. Like, it's not a it's like 
trying to not hold it as a goal. Mm. Like, like to, to kind of just notice moments when things drop away and what that feels like. And then notice when it goes away. The next thing happens. Your knee hurts. <laughs> <laughs> You're bored. Uh, yeah. yeah, thank you. I can't see this hand. Is rosemary right. first. Rosemary, please. Oh, there's the yeah. Hello. Uh, thank you so much, Rupesh. Um, uh, this, what I appreciated so much about the song is there was so much acceptance of everything in it. And um, just a lot of wisdom in that. And um, for myself, in terms of uh, what comes up from, I'm three years practicing, so you know where I'm at. Um, a lot of uh, suffering comes up pretty regularly. And um, it's really interesting because I'm learning through teachers and um, here to um, bring it in, bring it in, look at it. Um, and when I can do that, because these are unwanted things, you know, I don't, I don't want to feel, um, it, it loosens up. Um, and um, it's pretty painful sometimes, but it's not depression. It's not, it's not, it's not even sadness. Mm -hmm. It's just recognition of stuff that is there and that's in the way um, of the spaciousness and requires it that's never gotten this type of attention and that requires it and needs it for the openness to um, be able to happen at all. So, um, yeah, and I just thought the song um, uh, related that beautifully, staying open to it. It's, it's natural. That's what I was getting from the song. It's a natural process for these things to come and to go. So thank you so much for bringing beautiful song and your talk. Yeah, it just made me think of like, um, like it feels very paradoxical, like to um, turn towards the suffering can actually help it go, you know, can help it resolve. Or, and then um, I remember hearing one of my teachers, I think it was Lorena again, said that, uh, uh, no, maybe it was Peg, curiosity is the universal solvent. <laughs> and we can turn towards those things, painful things, even with curiosity. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Carolyn. Carolyn. Oh, hey, Carolyn. Hi. This Hi. is so joyful that you're doing this, Rupesh. My heart is full. Mm. And um, then I had a tinge of grief because I was supposed to be at that Trevor Hall concert with you and Catherine and Jess and John Eric. And um, so what I'm bringing is that, that Trevor's song also brought up for me this notion of um, my practice is really working with feeling into what for me is just endless grieving over my cancer, over things that are changing, over things I can't control. Um, and it's this waves of allowing the grief, like Mother's Day, I just bawled all day. Hmm. So allowing it, but then also that there's a part that's worried if I allow it too much, I'm going to get so blended, it's going to take over and it's never going to end. It's going to be this vast, dip, deep pit of grief, never ending 
boundless grief. And so then I get this notion of, I have a choice not to sit in it, like bringing that self energy, the observing mind to it. So I'm just curious, cause I'm really struggling with the allowance and then making the choice to not sit in. And I know this, this might sound rough, but I call it my victim programming. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't mean it to be rough. I don't look at that as a self-criticism. I just use it because it's like a, it cuts it Yeah. when I do that. But I, I would be really curious about um, your thoughts about that, like allowing and then also having to make the choice so you don't get totally blended yeah. in that experience. Yeah, thank you for that. You know, it's, it's um, you know, like I, I just heard like sitting in and sitting with, you know, sitting in and sitting with, like if you're, when you're blended with it, it feels like, say it's the grief, you know, it's then you're, you're, you know, flying down the Niagara Falls of grief and you're just with it. And that idea of sitting with it, like, when the observer comes, then it's like, oh, okay, this is grief. What's my body like in this grief? Oh, I feel this ache in my chest. Oh, my eyes are heavy. You know, oh, what are, this, what are the words that are here with this grief? Or what's the memory that's running here? And you, that unblending, it's like, it's like, kind of like that holding it in the lyric, like holding it like a weight. Like you give it your full attention, but in this particular way where it's like you're, looking at it from all angles. Yeah. What's the body like here? What's the emotion here? What's the thoughts here? What's the memories here? You know, like all of it. And in some way, now you're not, you know, tumbling down the Niagara Falls, but you're, you're watching something unfold. Yeah. And that's the practice. It's, it's hard because usually what happens is like you do that for a moment and then you're back tumbling <laughs> down the falls and you're lift out but those moments where you kind of can lift out, you know, and then, you know, bring it in connection, you know, there's, there's grace there. There's something, something beautiful about that, healing about that. So it is that notion. I really appreciate this because it's that distinction. Sometimes I feel like, gosh, if I don't feel the experience to its extent, mm -hmm. then I'm not allowing it fully where what you're saying is I do have that practice where I do somatically go into my body. How am I feeling this? Mm -hmm. I can even picture sometimes the age of a little part that might be manifesting this and picture that little part. So there's like a, um, a separation. So I don't get totally taken mm -hmm. over by it, but is that fully experiencing? That's what I, that's what I'm toyed with. Like, what is the full experience? <laughs> really allowing it so that it can run through me yeah well i think that's what the well that lyric you know how to surrender to the mystery i often never know like mm. yeah like sometimes you know i don't know what does that mean to fully experience it you know for me it is so much about connecting to the body because that's the most visceral part of it and if i can name and label how the experience is arising, like, oh, buzzing, oh, heavy, oh, you know, oh, a big wave of grief, like a, like a tidal wave, oh, small pieces of grief, like a lapping waves, you know, and you can keep feeling it somatically, 
like there's something about that for me that offers the space for lots of energy to, to unfold. Thank you so much, Rupesh. Sure. Thanks, Carol. It's the perfect talk at the perfect time. I'm just thinking of how you said at the end there also being in connection. Yeah. I would. This relationship. Well, I had an experience on Friday where I was sitting with grief and I was held in it by two other people mm -hmm. um, and it was in a, in a training capacity um, as we were all there learning Hakomi together um, but the trainer was just so clear that there's just nothing to do just to be with mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and um, and it, it did it moved mm -hmm. yeah. yeah I mean I think there's that taking refuge in Sangha, you know, that's part of it, like it, to hold it alone, it's um, only goes so far. Yeah. yeah. And I hope you know I meant that in the most flattering way, because as soon as I said the word, bring it into a relationship, I had a da 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 Does that feel complete? Thanks everybody, good to be with you.